0: Welcome to the Educate to Advocate podcast. I'm April Tate, mom of two, founder of Drops of Hope Consulting, and a special education advocate. I am
1: Dr. Penny Stack, occupational therapist and founder of Dyslexia Center of Tulsa, where we provide team-based therapy to bring children to grade-level reading. Hey, let's share with everyone why we're doing the podcast. I'm here to connect with listeners so that we don't feel alone in the
0: process of helping our children.
1: And I'm here to broaden awareness for providers that learning difficulties are not just about learning issues or needs. It's about a person's lived experience.
0: Let's get into today's topic. Today we have with us Cassie Peck, occupational therapist and founder of Greenhouse Pediatric Therapy. And we are so excited to have you here. We love you. you.
1: Yay. Hear the roar (laughs) of the crowd. We are super excited. I'm very glad to be here.
2: Well, you want to tell us a little bit more about you and, and your clinic? Okay. Um, I have been an occupational therapist for 18 years um, and I had a vision of a pediatric experience for kiddos that was a little bit different from the norm. So for the last five and a half years, we've had greenhouse pediatric therapy and we focus on getting the kiddos regulated and working on their social emotional development. Um, Whereas most occupational therapists in the clinic setting are looking a lot more at fine motor, um, we are looking at skills that develop uh, prior to that. Um, We generally have kiddos with autism diagnoses or trauma histories or just struggling with their
1: basic regulation and relationships with people. I keep hearing a word over and over and I'm not quite sure what it means. And I'm an OT. So just because you're an OT doesn't mean it's always your area of expertise, right? Which is why we're super glad that you're here. But regulation, can you kind of dive into a little bit about what that means and what that looks like?
2: That is such a buzzword. And overall, regulation means that you are calm, alert, and organized. Um, If you are dysregulated, which would be the opposite of regulation, that would mean that you are not in your best state for learning or um, taking on new things or just even existing in your world. Um, a lot of the kiddos that we see, I would say most of the kiddos that we see struggle with regulation more than anything when they come to see us. Um, and when a kiddo is dysregulated, daily life can be really challenging. Um,
1: what are some examples? I mean, if I was going to go into school or go to a playground or just in general, I was at the mall, how would I know if a child... Was dysregulated, or just misbehaving, or just tired?
2: Yes, and that's a really good question because a lot of people look at dysregulated as the kid who is having behavior problems, which that is that makes up a large portion of our clientele, um, but that misses the kiddos who are not behavior problems who are also dysregulated. Um, and I am a grown-up sensory kid, meaning that I have problems with sensory regulation. And so do several of the staff members, which I think is why we are so great with these kiddos is because we are these kiddos. Um, and for me, I followed all the rules. I was never a behavior problem. And yet I have all of this, um, challenge with regulation. I'm very overwhelmed by things. And my go-to would be to get quiet and shut down or kind of withdraw. And it can look like that. It can look like, the kiddo on the floor at target who is <laughs> throwing the most giant fit for what looks like no reason. Um, it can be the kiddo who won't get dressed um, because their sock feels funny or the parents who said they haven't been out to a restaurant with their family in three years because it's just too hard with, with the child. Um, and often we have parents say, you know, this and this, and this happen, And then for no reason, they fell apart. Mm. Um, And what we see is all of that stuff that happened before the, for no reason is what we need to work on because it's not about, we had a a parent who's like, yes, you know, everything was fine. And then I didn't cut the strawberries the right way. And if I had just cut the strawberries the right way, it would have prevented that. I'm like, no, that was just the end of this huge bucket of sentry information that that was the last drop and it overflowed everywhere. And so we talk a lot about ways to help kids get the input that they need or avoid the input that is um, challenging for
1: them or maybe for the parent identify those triggers earlier so the bucket doesn't overflow give breaks ahead of time intervene ahead of time yes
2: and for some of our kiddos we have to backtrack like 72 hours to find out where this is coming from, because some kiddos, like this was me, you can hold it together for quite a long time, and then you can't anymore,
1: you know, on a prior podcast, I think we talked about this April. We talked about keeping a journal, yeah. So we talked about just kind of bring up to speed, keeping a journal and writing down maybe the time of day. What was the behavior or characteristic that you saw? What were they doing? any notations and keeping that log for about a week. So when you talk about going back 72 hours or so, would journals like this be helpful for parents to bring?
2: Um, A lot of our parents would find that really hard to keep up with. There are some really cool apps they can just jot down notes in or say, you know, this was the mood of the kid at this time. But we try to talk through that with parents a lot. Okay, so he was fine on Friday. He made it through the school week, actually in pretty good shape. And then what happened this weekend? Like, well, not a whole lot. Like we went to the trampoline park, which he loves. And then Sunday we had a birthday party. And then Monday he wouldn't go to school and was screaming the whole day. Like, well, even if you love it, it can be dysregulated. And that's something that a lot of people don't see. The input is overwhelming, even if you
1: really, really love it. Oh, Um, I remember when I went to visit your clinic uh, just maybe a couple of months ago and you had us on this swing where you rotated us and then kind of um, took a look at our eyes to uh see if they were moving really fast. And one of the things I remember the therapist that was demonstrating, it said to us that even though they look like they're enjoying themselves, if they are more wound up and their eyes are just moving super quick, that they are overstimulated.
2: Yes. It messes with your brain
1: even if... (laughs) You don't
2: think that it is. Um, and every, every input that we get, whether it be touch or noise or a smell, um, whatever the input is, it is dumped in that bucket of input that we're processing. Some of our kiddos have a really big bucket and they need a lot of input to even feel okay. Some kiddos have a teeny tiny bucket and the tiniest piece of input is just kaboom. Um, and a lot of our kiddos, because their day is so hard for them all the time and they, they don't have a body and brain that processes input. Well, their bucket is never full. So they wake up and start with their bucket almost all the way full. And we work really hard to teach the parents ways to help to give them more space in their bucket or to lighten the load through the day. Um, and that's always our goal is to help the kiddo and the family know how to read the kid's signals and respond appropriately.
0: Something that I really appreciate about you and the therapist at your clinic is that you guys all work very hard with your families to help educate parents so that when you're in the middle of this situation, you're not just also melting down because you don't know what else to do sweating profusely. You You give parents tools to deal with that situation and how to help that child through it. And it helps a parent feel less powerless in those situations where things are just spinning out of control and they don't know what to do. And I know that you really work hard to give your
2: parents those tools. And it's really, it's made a big difference in my life. And that's not, again, that's not typical for an outpatient setting necessarily. I spent my first six years doing early intervention. So I was in families homes, working with babies, teaching the parents what to do over and over and over and so when I decided to do outpatient, I wanted to bring that model with me because if the parents know what's happening and what's going on, that's so much better for everybody. Absolutely. And I don't understand the concept of um, like for the kiddos with our struggles. Okay, you stay in the lobby? I'm going to take your kid back for 30 minutes and fix them and bring them back to you because that's not how anything works for the kiddos that we see. Sure. Um, we need everybody involved we have grandparents coming babysitters coming um the parents we invite them back every session now there are some kiddos who cannot handle their family's feedback, or mom brought four siblings and that might sure. not be a great a fit for what's happening but we that's a high priority is parent education and we hold um like caregiver conferences after the evaluation to teach the parents about the kiddos. Um, We have classes occasionally at night for parents just to kind of go over this stuff. Like here's some more information on how your child's body works.
1: And here's some things that you can do to support that. So I know you agree with the concept of a team.
2: Oh yes, Right.
1: And, and you clearly do that by bringing the parent in how does this or how can it interface with school? some of these kids obviously get therapy as well in school. Is there some type of a bridge t- to that end?
2: I would say that depends on the school. <laughs> I would agree. Um, I've had that we have had well. some relationships with schools that were phenomenal and the teacher would email us, okay, this happened in class. What are your thoughts on this? Um, we often per parent request will send recommendations to the school. Sometimes the schools will do them and the child is magically doing much better. And sometimes they're like, that doesn't fit in what with what we're doing uh, because we have a developmental approach and we are, you know, regulation before anything can happen um, that can conflict with some of the behavioral models and the behavior plans in the schools where they say, if you're good for 10 days, then you get to do this. And we're like, they can't be good for 10 days because they're dysregulated. Or right? let me take your recess first away. because yes. you're not acting appropriately. And that is class. only punishing everybody, right? right? <laughs> everybody um,
1: <laughs> I think, you know, you bring up a a good point and, and we've, I know April and I've touched on this before, but when we think about therapy, we are very fortunate to be able to work with children in small settings, one-on-one, and then teachers, they, they do not have that opportunity. What, what recommendations or tips do you have for teachers when they have a classroom of 30 kids? And I am sure Okay. So I'm not sure of the exact number. So, but there have to be a significant handful of kids in that classroom that have sensory needs, not only just organically, but feed off of the excitement in the room. What could a teacher do?
2: It depends on the kid. Um, the biggest advice that I can give is let the kid's bodies move. Um, whether that be, They take a walk around the classroom. They are doing heavy jobs where they're using their muscles and their joints. Um, We often suggest like maybe he could be the messenger and he takes a stack of books to the library every day and then in a couple of hours picks up that exact same stack of books from the library and carries it all the way back. Um, Give them an opportunity to stand at their desk instead of having to sit correctly in their chair. A lot of our kiddos, if they are focused on sitting correctly in their chair, then, while they're doing their work, they're like, okay, sit up, sit up, sit up, sit up, sit up, feet on the floor, sit up, sit up, sit up, sit up, sit up. And there's nothing else in their brain that is happening. There's no learning happening, there's no social exchanges happening. We recommend that kiddos get to take breaks as they need. Because if you get to take breaks as you need, then the time that you're in there, you can actually focus much more.
1: I want to focus in on something that you just said, because okay. it 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 aligns with something that I talk about often. And that is there, I, I believe that there's a huge possibility that a lot of our children that are in schools that are under a specific learning disability may not at all have a specific learning disability, but they may just have, and I don't want to say just as if it's less important or, or less than, but when I say just, I mean, if you think about the just, it, it would be treated completely differently. Mm-hmm. And that's the miss. And so could you have a child that has just weak core without having learning disability at all, but the reason why they're not spelling and writing and reading correctly is exactly what you just said. I'm sitting, I'm sitting up, I'm holding myself up in the chair my feet are on the floor. I'm looking forward. And they're focused so much on just not falling off the chair that everything else is falling apart. I don't know. Yeah. I don't
0: know if you've been in a classroom and observed, but I, I occasionally will substitute and the number of children that actually
1: fall out of their chair it's is real alarming.
0: Thing. It is. Yes. They they will be yeah. sitting there and they then don't just know where their bodies are. Fall
1: out. <laughs> exactly. And so I wonder what would it look like in schools if we just went back to all of those fundamental skills they would need to have? Core strength, sensory integration, self regulation, and we just addressed those things. Just like you said, I mean, think about schools in Finland where they play in kindergarten, right? And they're oh, not sitting at a desk. Which a developmentally yes. appropriate thing, thing to do, right? Yes. And what would it look like? I don't think we'd have as many kids that look like they have a learning disability because they don't. They have a they have a lack of opportunity issue.
2: I would like to see a study on kids who fall out of their chair after recess versus before recess and see. Oh, I'm sure that would be be interesting. interesting. Yeah, As we do. We have taken away all of the opportunities that kids use to regulate their bodies. Um, They go to the cafeteria where they're not allowed to talk and eat in 10 minutes, which our kiddos are slow (laughs) most of the time and cannot do it. Um. And then they have what, 15 minutes of recess and that's it. Um, you know, when I was growing up, we had a pretty good recess every day. We had P.E. every day. We had music every day. And I think why I didn't struggle as much as a child as I do now is because my body was doing things. I climbed trees. I rode bikes. I would balance on the curb. We played kickball until dark all of the time. Kids are not getting the same input that we did as kids i am not getting the same input and i know that if i am having a hard time focusing i will move furniture (laughs) because that like makes my body very calm and grounded and i can get stuff done Um, and giving our kids opportunities for that kind of input would be huge Um, there are you know every kid is different and what they need is different but universally big, heavy jobs. is called proprioceptive input. And you can find it on Pinterest. If you type in proprioceptive input, there's a million things on there, but you need input to the joints and muscles, pushing, pulling, squeezing, massage, um, hanging on the monkey bars, doing bear walks, all sorts of things that help to wake up and find your body. Um, and when you know where your body is then it's much easier for your brain to be able to pay attention. I
0: will say, as an advocate who's in the school system with different schools somewhat regularly, I find it a little encouraging that people are becoming more and more open to this whole idea. I think people like you have been out there and talking about this enough that people are starting to realize there's a direct correlation between this child and how their body feels, and what their behavior is, and how they're learning, and if they're not learning. And I I will say, I mean, obviously, there's always room to grow for sure. But I am encouraged hearing whenever I go in and say, well, we need sensory breaks. It's not, well, what does that mean? It's, oh, yeah. that's a good idea. I didn't yeah. think about it. But the openness to trying things like that, yeah. I feel like, are, are opening and up.
2: We would love to educate everybody because we don't want to get stuck in, this kid needs a sensory break. Therefore, he has to go swing for five minutes because that worked for the last kid. Right. And so it's tricky to know you know, mm-hmm. what is. Yeah, what we're is a very big
0: on. um. Understanding the individual individual kid kid and learning how to help that child, not just everyone as, you know, one particular child. Well, Cassie, thank you so much for all of this information. I am – Really appreciate you coming on. Penny and I just really love having you here today. We hope that we are leaving everybody today feeling empowered to advocate. Thank you for making us a small part of your
1: day. We would love to hear from you and what's on your mind. Email us questions and comments at educate to advocate at gmail.com. Listen for your topic to be on a future podcast.
0: Connect with us on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe and listen to our podcasts on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and on most podcasts podcast platforms.